0: Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us for a few moments as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that Jesus and John the Baptist both place before us two great destinies, either to be ushered into the Kingdom of God at the end of this age when Jesus returns to the earth or, tragically, to be burned up in the bonfire of the lake of fire. Those two destinies are placed before us in Matthew chapter 3, most clearly by John the Baptist as he announced what's called the gospel about the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 3, verse 2. Nothing can be more important than getting the foundation of our understanding of the Christian faith right. Now, foundations are laid by starting at the beginning, it makes no sense at all to begin in the middle of the New Testament, but begin at the beginning. And what better place is there than with the beginning of Matthew's gospel? John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus Christ, comes introducing the gospel and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That meant simply what all the prophets of Israel had said for many centuries before, that the day of the Lord God's great judgment day was at hand. That's to say, we're put on the alert. We're to be preparing for that great day. John the Baptist was followed by Jesus, who came into Galilee preaching exactly the same message. You'll find in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, that Jesus also said, as John the Baptist had before him, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same gospel, and there's one gospel and one gospel only, throughout the entirety of your new testament we're so thankful that god has not made this complicated for us there are not two gospels or two forms of the gospel one gospel before the cross and one gospel after no there's one gospel with a solid foundation in the message about the kingdom of god now to that initial message certainly were added the facts about the death and resurrection of jesus as these occurred and these of course are part of the gospel And an essential part of it too But the kingdom of heaven gospel The kingdom of God gospel And by the way The term kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God Are interchangeable synonyms in the New Testament There's absolutely no difference in meaning Between those two phrases That kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God gospel Was introduced in the plainest terms By John the Baptist It puts us on the alert It puts us into a state of readiness Or it ought to For the coming great day of judgment And that judgment, I want to tell you, does not happen at the moment when you die. It happens at the moment when Jesus comes back to resurrect the dead. And he's going to resurrect the faithful at his coming. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23, a pivotable verse for understanding God's scheme. The faithful of all the ages, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all the faithful prophets of Old Testament times, all the faithful of the New Testament times, will be resurrected from the state of death at the second coming of Jesus, First Corinthians 15, verse 23. There will then follow, in God's grand scheme, a period of a thousand years, the first stage of the kingdom of God on earth. That thousand-year period is mentioned only in one passage in Revelation 20. Now, when I say that that period of a thousand years is mentioned in only one place in Revelation 20, I want you to be careful with that statement. The actual length of that period, as a thousand years, is mentioned only in one passage, six times in Revelation 20. The idea and the events associated with that thousand-year period are mentioned from one end of your Bible to the other. The kingdom of God on the earth is the great, grand theme of all Scripture. The time when Jesus comes to reign, and the saints reign with him in the kingdom, that's the objective of the entire Bible, and that's mentioned in Revelation 20. The actual length of that period of time, 1,000 years, is specified only in that one passage. The reigning with Christ in the future glory of the kingdom is mentioned on page after page of your Bible. The great objective of human history is the establishment of peace on earth, a peace which we do not now see. The Bible speaks in Isaiah, of a time coming when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Quite obviously that has never happened in the history of mankind. It is therefore most misleading to suggest that the millennium, the reign of Christ and the saints, is now happening. Not for one moment is that true. If you take a Bible and open it to Revelation 20, you'll see there a picture of dead people coming alive. Singled out for special mention are those who have been decapitated. I saw those who had had their heads chopped off. John says as he recounts his vision, those who had been beheaded and they came to life and began to reign with Messiah for a thousand years. How very plain that is. How obvious that is that it's a resurrection from the dead. It's not a figurative resurrection which occurs at conversion. You don't have your head chopped off at conversion. You do have your head chopped off if you die as a martyr for Christ, and it's from that literal death that a literal resurrection takes place in that precious passage in Revelation 20. Read it for yourself. Open your eyes to the precious truth that that millennial kingdom is a time period lying ahead of us. It depends upon the resurrection of of literally dead people, to the life of the age to come in the kingdom in order to reign with Messiah. Your objective in the Bible was never to disappear to heaven as a disembodied soul. No, God is calling you and inviting you to his great kingdom to be co-regents and co-rulers, servant rulers certainly, but rulers nevertheless with the Messiah when he returns to the earth to set up his throne. To sit on the throne of David which was promised to him at his birth that throne of David, which has never yet reappeared on the earth, but it will, according to all the promises of the Old Testament. The Hebrew prophets constantly tell you that God intends to deal with this world in a decisive and once-for-all manner. He's going to send the Messiah back to accomplish the purpose that God had for our world from the beginning. Jesus, Messiah, is the agent of God, the one appointed to rule. And you also are appointed to rule. Saints are appointed to rule if you will prepare now in submission to the will of God in preparation for the great glory of the kingdom coming when the sons of God are going to be revealed on this earth in glorified bodies. Now there's another aspect of this plan by which we arrive at immortality which is most important to grasp. Let me perhaps startle you with what might appear to be a bold or even a brash statement According to the Bible, there's not a single solitary soul burning in the fires of hell at present. There's not a single solitary human being in heaven except for Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father. No human soul or person has passed into realms beyond the sky. No human soul has passed into a subterranean hellfire. Those features of God's plan, the reward of the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, and the punishment of destruction in hell, those are features of God's plan which do not come into operation until the second coming. Let me tell you this straight from the words of Jesus himself. Jesus said this, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. And we have not yet arrived at the end of the age. Jesus did not say, that the wicked would be burned up at the moment they die. No, he said the tares will be gathered and burned up at the end of the age. May I read you the exact words of Jesus from the NIV version of the Bible in Matthew 13, verse 49. Here are Jesus' words. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, and throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So important was this fact about human destiny that Jesus had repeated himself earlier in the very same chapter. In Matthew 13, verse 40, Jesus said this, As the weeds, which stand for the wicked, are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It would seem that Jesus' words are timely to those of us who have been taught something quite different. Certainly when I was a boy I was taught to believe That at the moment I died, I would disappear as a disembodied soul to heaven. But that doesn't fit with what I read as I studied the Bible, and there are many Bible readers who have discovered the same thing. Let me make this point absolutely clear. Jesus said that the wicked and the good would be divided at the end of the age. And the end of the age is the time when Jesus returns. Jesus has not yet returned. The end of the age has not yet come and therefore the wicked and the good have not yet been divided. It's as simple as that. In another passage in Matthew 16, verse 27, Jesus said, The Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. Matthew 16, verse 27. Now that sort of scheme is completely incompatible and contradictory of the traditional view that many of us have been taught that at the moment we die rewards are handed out and punishments given that simply will not fit the scheme of the plain words of jesus in matthew 13 and matthew 16 as well as a mass of other texts that may be pointed to throughout the bible let's consider for a moment then what happens when we die what is the nature of death in the bible Now, this is a remarkably simple question to answer if we simply pay attention to the text of Scripture and put aside for a moment some of the ideas that we may have gathered from other sources. The Bible points to the resurrection of the dead at the second coming of Christ as the great pivotal moment when our change from mortality to immortality is going to take place. All the Bible writers unanimously look forward to the great denouement of history, the point at which immortal beings will emerge from their graves in order to reign and rule with Christ on the earth in the kingdom of God. Let me cite you the example of Job. Job, from our Hebrew Bible, had this to say about the destiny of man. First he asked a question, If a man dies, will he live again? And then he answered the question, all the days of my appointed time I will wait until my change comes. You'll find that in Job 14:14. 14, 14. Job knew that in the normal course of events, death would finally catch up with him. It catches up eventually with all of us. But Job looked forward to something marvelous in the future. At death he pictured himself as waiting for the resurrection. Where would he spend this waiting time? The answer is given in Job 17, verse 13. If I wait, he said, the grave is my house. He was thinking there of the great receptacle of all the dead known as Sheol or Hades in the Bible. Now, how did Job picture the condition of those who were waiting in Sheol or Hades or the grave? He said this, at death man lies down and does not rise again until the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Our time is running out, unfortunately, for today. We invite you to request our free booklet on what happens when we die. And join us again as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.